chapter fourteen of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain while leaves were falling fondly as he loved his betrothed wife allan felt that affection and duty alike forbade him to leave his father while the shadow of doom hung over the threshold while there could be no assurance from day to day that the end would not come before sundown there had been enough in the physician's manner to crush hopefulness even in the most sanguine breast and it was in vain that allan tried to argue within himself against the verdict of learning and experience he knew in his inmost heart that the physician was right the ordeal through which george carew had passed had changed him with the change that too palpably foreshadows the last change of all in the hollow eyes the blue-veined forehead and pale lips in the inert and semi-transparent hands in the far-off look of the man whose race is run and who has nothing more to do with active life allan saw the sign manual of the destroyer he had need to cherish and garner these quiet days in his father's company to hang fondly on every word from those pale lips to treasure each thought as a memory to be hereafter dear and sacred whatever other love there might be for him upon this earth even the love of her whom he had made his second self upon whom he depended for all future gladness no claim could prevail against the duty that held him here by the side of the father whose days were numbered i am so glad to have you with me allan mr carew said in the grave voice which had lost none of its music though it had lost much of its power it seems selfish on my part to keep you here away from that nice girl your sweetheart but though you are making a sacrifice now no 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 interrupted allan it is no sacrifice i'd rather be here than anywhere in the world thank god that i am here that no accident of distance has kept me from you dear boy you are so good and true but it is a sacrifice all the same this is the springtime of your life and you ought to be with the girl who makes your sunshine it is hard for you too to be parted and i should like her to be here only this is a house of gloom god knows what might happen to chill that young heart it is better that you and i should be alone together prepared for the worst and in the days to come in the far-off days you will be glad to remember how your love lightened every burden for your dying father father my dear father the son uttered words of hope declared his belief that heaven would grant the dear patient renewed strength but the voice in which he spoke the words of cheerfulness was broken by sobs my dear allan don't be downhearted i am resigned to the worst that can happen i won't say i am glad that the end is near that would be base ingratitude to the best of wives to the dearest of sons and to providence which has given me so many good things this world and this life have been pleasant to me allan and it does seem hard to be called away from such peaceful surroundings from the home where love is even though 
through all that life there has run a dark thread i think you have known that alan i think that sensitive nature of yours has been conscious of the shadow on my days yes i have known that there was a shadow a stronger character would have risen superior to the sorrow that has clouded my life alan i have no doubt that some of the greatest and many of the most useful men the world has known have suffered just such disappointment as i suffered in my early manhood and have risen superior to their sorrow you remember how austin caxton counsels his son to live down a disappointed love how he appeals to the lives of men who have conquered sorrow you thought the wing was broken tut tut twas but a bruised feather but in my own case alan the wing was broken i had not the mental stamina i had not the power of rebound which enables a man to rise superior to the sorrow of his youth i could not forget my first love i gave up a year of my life to the search for the girl i loved who had forsaken me in a foolish spirit of self-sacrifice because she had been told that my marriage with her would be social ruin she was little more than a child in years quite a child in ignorance of the world and of the weight and measure of worldly things we were both cruelly used alan my mother was a good woman and a woman who would do nothing which she could not reconcile to her own conscience and her own ideas of piety she acted conscientiously after her own narrow notions in bringing about the parting which blighted my youth and she thought me a wicked son because for two years of my life i held myself aloof from her and in all that time could you find no trace of your lost love none i advertised in english and continental newspapers veiling my appeal in language which would mean little to the outside world though it would speak plainly to her i wandered about the continent italy switzerland all along the rhine and the danube to every place that seemed to offer a chance of success i had reason to believe that she had been sent abroad and i thought that her exile would be fixed in some remote district out of the beaten track it may be that my research was conducted feebly i was out of health for the greater part of my wanderings and i had no one to help me another man in my position might have employed a private detective and might have succeeded where i failed i was summoned home by the news of my mother's dangerous illness and i returned remorseful and unhappy at the thought that she might die unforgiving and unforgiven my resentment vanished i recalled all that my mother had been to my childhood and boyhood and i felt myself an ungrateful son thank god i was home in time to cheer her sick-bed and to help towards her recovery by the assurance of my unaltered affection i found that she too had suffered and i discovered the strength of maternal love under that outward hardness and allied with those narrow views which had wrecked my happiness in my gladness at her recovery from a long and dangerous illness i began to think that the old heart wound was cured and when she suggested my marriage with our dear emily my amiable playfellow of old i cheerfully fell in with her views the union was in every respect suitable and for me in every respect advantageous your mother has been 
a good and dear wife to me and never had man less reason to complain against fate but there has been the lingering shadow of that old memory alan and you have seen and understood so it is well you should know all alan tearfully acknowledged the trust confided in him when i am gone if you care to know the story of my first love you will find it fully recorded in a manuscript which was written some years ago heaven knows what inspired me to go over that old ground to write of myself almost as i might have written of another man it was the whim of an idle brain i felt a strange sad pleasure in recalling every detail of my brief love story in conjuring up looks and tones the very atmosphere of the commonplace surroundings through which my dear love and i moved no touch of romance no splendour of scenery no gaiety of race course or public garden made the background of our love a dull london street a dull london parlour were all we had for a paradise and god knows we needed no more you will smile at a middle-aged man's folly in lingering fondly over the record of his own love-story instead of projecting himself into the ideal world and weaving a romance of shadows if i had been a woman i might have found a diversion for my empty days in writing novels in every one of which my girlish love and i would have lived again and loved and parted again under various disguises but i had not the feminine love of fiction it pleased me to write of myself and my love in sober truthfulness you will read with a mind in touch with mine alan and though you may smile at your father's folly there will be no scornfulness in your smile my dear dear father god knows there will be no smile on these lips of mine if i am to read the story after our parting god grant the day for that reading may be far off i will do nothing to hasten it alan your companionship has helped much to renew my pleasure in life you can never know how i missed you when this house ceased to be your home it was different when you were at the university the short terms the short distance between here and cambridge made parting seem less than parting but when you had a house of your own and half a dozen counties divided us i began to feel that i had lost my only son you had but to summon me i know i know but i could not be so selfish as to bring you away from your pleasant surroundings the prettier country the more genial climate your hunting your falconry your golf and your new neighbours a sick man is a privileged egotist but even now i feel i am wrong in letting you stay here and lose the best part of the hunting season to say nothing of that other loss which no doubt you feel more keenly the loss of your sweetheart's society you need not think about it father for i mean to stay please regard me as a fixture if you keep as well next week as you are to-day i may take a run to wilts just to see how suzette and her father are getting on and to look round my stable but i shall be away at most one night go to-morrow alan i know you are dying to see her then perhaps to-morrow you really are wonderfully well are you not so well that i feel myself an impostor when i am treated as an invalid i may go then but it will only be to hurry back said alan his heart beat faster at the thought of an hour with suzette an hour in which to look into the frank bright face to see the truthful eyes looking up at him in all confidence and love to be assured that the three weeks absence had made no difference that not the faintest cloud had come between them in their first parting yes he longed to see her with a lover's heart-sickness 
deeply tenderly as he treasured every hour of his father's society he felt that he must steal just as much time from his home duty as would give him one hour with suzette he pored over time-tables and so planned his journey as to leave fendyke in the afternoon of one day and to return in time for luncheon the day after this was only to be effected by leaving matcham at daybreak but a young man who was in the habit of leaving home in the half-light of a september dawn to ride ten miles to a six o'clock meet was not afraid of an early train he caught a fast evening train for salisbury and was at matcham soon after eight he had written to general vincent to announce his intention of looking in after dinner apologizing in advance for so late a visit his intention was to take a hasty meal dress and drive to marsh house but at beechhurst he found a note from the general inviting him to dinner postponed till nine o'clock on his account so he made his toilet in the happiest mood and arrived at marsh house ten minutes before the hour he found suzette alone in the drawing-room and had her all to himself for just those ten minutes which he had gained by extra swiftness at his toilet for half those minutes he had the gentle fluttering creature in his arms the dark eyes full of tears the innocent heart all tenderness and sympathy why would not you let me go to you alan she remonstrated i wanted to be with you and lady emily in your trouble i hope you don't think i am afraid of sickness or sorrow where those i love are concerned indeed dearest i give you credit for all unselfishness but i was advised against your visit the hazard was too awful what hazard alan the possibility of my father's sudden death oh alan my poor poor boy is it really as bad as that how sad for you and you love him so dearly i know i hardly knew how dearly till this great terror fell upon me nothing less than my love for a father whom i must lose too soon whom i may lose very soon would have kept me from you so long suzette and now i am only here for a few hours to see you to hear you to hold you in my arms and to assure myself that there is such a person to make quite sure that the suzette who is in my thoughts by day and in all my dreams by night is not a brilliant hallucination the creature of my mind and fancy i am very real i assure you full of human faults i hope you have a stray failing or two lurking somewhere amongst your perfections but i have not discovered one yet ah alan love would not be love if he could see tell me all your news susie what have you been doing with yourself your letters have told me a good deal dear bright letters coming like a burst of sunshine into my sad life but they could not tell me enough i suppose you have been often at discombe yes i have been there nearly every day mrs warnock has been ill and depressed she will not own to being ill and i could not persuade her to send for the doctor but i don't think she could be in such low spirits if she were not ill poor soul she is so sympathetic alan she has been as keenly interested in your poor father's illness as if he were her dearest friend she has been so eager to hear about his progress and has begged me to read the passages in your letters which refer to him she is so tender-hearted and enters so fully into other people's sorrows and you have been much with her and have done all in your power to cheer her no doubt i have done what i could we have made music together but she has not taken her old delight in playing or in listening to me she has become dreamy and self-absorbed i am sure she is out of health and her son for whose company she was pining all the summer has not he been able to cheer her spirits 
i hardly know about that mr warnock is out hunting all day and every day he has increased his stud since you left and hunts with three packs of hounds he comes home after dark sometimes late for dinner he and his mother spend the evening together and no doubt that is her golden hour and has warnock given up his violin practice he plays for an hour after dinner sometimes when he is not too tired and your musical mornings have there been no more of those no more consentant duets alan i told you that there should be no more such duets for me you might have changed your mind not after having promised i considered that a promise conscientious soul and you think me a jealous brute no doubt i don't think you a brute but a jealous idiot my dearest i don't think i am altogether wrong a wife or a betrothed wife should have no absorbing interest outside her husband's or her sweetheart's life and music is an absorbing interest a chain of potent strength between two minds when i heard those impassioned strains on the fiddle and your tender imitations on the piano question and answer question and answer forever repeating themselves and breathing only love oh alan what an ignoramus you are do you suppose musical people ever think of anything but the music they are playing they may not think but they must feel they can't help being borne along on that strong current no no they have no time to be vapourish or sentimental they have to be cool and business-like every iota of one's brain-power is wanted for the notes one is playing the transitions from key to key so subtle as to take one by surprise the changes of time the syncopated passages which almost take one's breath away hark there is my aunt father asked her in to support me uncle mornington is in london and she is alone at the grove i think we could have done without her susie mrs mornington's resonant voice was heard in the hall while she was taking off her fur cloak and the lady appeared a minute later in a serviceable black velvet gown with diamonds twinkling and trembling in her honiton cap jovial and hearty as usual you poor fellow i'm very glad to see you she said shaking hands with alan i hope your father is better of course he is though or you wouldn't be here it's five minutes past nine susie and as i am accustomed to get my dinner at half-past seven i hope your cook means to be punctual oh here's my brother and dinner is announced thank goodness general vincent welcomed his future son-in-law and the little party went into the cosy dining-room where suzette looked her prettiest in the glow of crimson shaded lamps which flecked her soft white gown and her pretty white neck with rosy lights conversation was so bright and cheerful among these four that alan's thoughts reverted apprehensively now and again to the quiet home in suffolk and the dark shadow hanging over it he felt as if there were a kind of treason against family affection in this interlude of happiness and yet he could not help being happy with suzette to-morrow in the early grey of a wintry morning he would be on his way back to his father after dinner mrs mornington established herself in an armchair close to the drawing-room fire and had so much to say to her brother about matcham sociology that alan and his sweetheart seated by the piano at the other end of the room were as much alone as if they had been in one of the discombe copses no better friend than a piano to lovers who want to be quiet and confidential suzette sat before the keyboard and played a few bars now and then like a running commentary on the conversation you will say all that is kind and nice to mrs warnock for me alan said after a good deal of other and tenderer talk yes i will tell her how kindly you spoke of her but the best thing i can tell her is that your father is better she has been so intensely interested about him 
i have felt very sorry for her since you went away ellen why because i cannot help seeing that her son's return has not brought her the happiness she expected she has been thinking of him and hoping for his coming for years empty desolate years for until she attached herself to you and me she had really no one she cared for strange was it not that she should take such a fancy to you and then extend her friendly feeling to me yes it was strange undoubtedly but i believe i owe her kindly feeling entirely to my very shadowy likeness to her son no doubt that was the beginning but i am sure she likes you for your own sake you are only second to her son in her affection and i know she is disappointed in her son i hope he is not unkind to her unkind no no he is kindness itself his manner to his mother is all that it should be affectionate caressing deferential but he is such a restless creature so eager for change and movement clever and amiable as he is there is something wanting in his character the want of repose i believe he hardly ever rests and there is no rest where he is he excites his mother and he doesn't make her happy perhaps it is better for her that he is so seldom at home she is too highly strung to endure his unquiet spirit you like him though don't you suzette in spite of his faults oh one cannot help liking him he is so bright and clever and he has all his mother's amiability only like her he has just a touch of eccentricity but i hardly like to call it that a german word expresses it better he is überspant he is what our american friends call a crank said alan relieved to find his sweetheart could speak so lightly of the man who had caused him his first acquaintance with jealousy End of chapter fourteen